This morning, if you are new with us, or uh, you've been a while since you've been with us, or even if you've only been for the last couple of weeks, we're doing something different. Uh, Every church that I've ever been to does communion, but it always does it a little bit of a different way. We, at the end of our sermon series, will, will have one, but it is specifically this for the entire service. It's not part of the service. It's not after the service. It's not just a little 15-minute thing. We want to take time to remember. Now, honestly, every Sunday should be a day that we remember what Christ did for us. Every day we wake up should be a day that we remember what Christ did for us. But today, we specifically designate, as we come to the table, the Lord's Supper to remember what He has done for us. Now, I was, uh, I was thinking about it this week, and I got to the thinking, why do we really celebrate communion? Why do we come and why do we sit and in some churches, it's uh, everybody come up together at the same time. Some churches has it passed out, as you will see here. We're going to uncover it, and after we uncover it, you're free to come whenever you want to at that point in time. Um, but why do we do it? What is it that we need to remember? What is it that stands out? You know, sometimes we come to the communion t- table on Sundays, and we do it out of obligation. I was thinking, you know, th- there are, I grew up Catholic, and I remember it was, that's what everybody did. It, everybody got in line, and they went up to the front, and the priest said, peace be with you, and also with you, and they put the thing on your tongue, and then you stepped over, and you took a drink from the cup that was there. It was kind of a, it's just what you did. It was out of obligation, because if you didn't do it, the people next to you would be like, oh, what did they do this week that they can't, you know, you know, I mean, that's the kind of thinking that we had. So um, what is it that brings us? The first thing I said was obligation. The second thing was, is it's, maybe it's just routine, because in the first church I ever uh, was a part of, it was always the third Sunday night of the month. And that's right. That's, what, that's just what it was. It's, just, it's Sunday night. We gotta, it's got to be squeezed into everything else. And it was just part of the routine that we had. And I'm pretty sure when, when Jesus instituted it and when Paul got on the Corinthian church about it, it wasn't so we could be reminded to do it in routine or do it out of obligation. I think the purpose for communion is to actually remember what Christ did. As a matter of fact, Paul writes about people who get it wrong. And do we get it wrong? Absolutely. Are we perfect? By no means. But Paul writes to the Corinthian church about getting it wrong. So if you have your Bibles with you, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's in the New Testament. If you don't, we're going to have it up here on the screen for you. We're going to be reading from the NLT version today. So let's, let's look at this. Starting in verse 17 of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes this. It says, but in following instructions, I cannot praise you. And he's writing this, obviously, to the Corinthian church. For it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. First, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as a church. In some extent, I believe that. And unfortunately, I, I don't know a church that doesn't have some small little bickering that goes on inside of it. He says, but of course, there must be divisions among you so that you who have God's approval will be recognized. We can get into that another time. He says, when you meet together, you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. For some of you, hurry and eat your own meal without sharing with others. And as a result, some go hungry while others get drunk. What? Don't you have homes for eating and drinking? Or do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? Well, I certainly will not praise you for this. I'm not going to praise you for getting this wrong. 
I'm not going to be okay with it. I'm not just going to hold back. So he says, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself, from Jesus Christ himself. Paul is writing this. He says, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord took some bread and he gave thanks for it. He broke it into pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to what? Remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to what? You can answer. Remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. Today I want to do this. I want us to examine ourselves. I want us to take a look inside of ourselves on why we are here this morning. Why are we doing this? Why did you get up this morning to be a part of all of this? Why did you say, you know what, this morning's a good morning to go to church? What is it that brings us to that point? What are some of the questions that we ask ourselves? And I think when we remember, when we remember everything that Jesus did, it changes who we are and it changes how we react. I think sometimes we forget. I think we forget the impact that Jesus had, A, on us, but B, on the entire world in general. Uh, I told you last week, I got stuck on a plane, and while on that plane, had a great chance to talk to a kid that had a bunch of questions about this whole Jesus thing. And we were talking back and forth, and one of the questions he asked, he said, why did Jesus come then and not now? Why did he make himself, you know, man? Why did God make himself a man and live 2,000 years ago and come and live in a place that just had no innovation, really, just was, you know, kind of a brutal culture, if you think about it? And I said, well, that's exactly it. I said, you don't understand how much Jesus changed culture when he came to earth. Because when Jesus came, he started preaching. If you've ever read any of the accounts of what Jesus talks about throughout the Gospels, he talks about things like, Loving each other, about loving God, about reaching out to the poor, helping the disabled and the widows, being humble, having humility in our hearts. Let me tell you something. There's days that I am not humble, okay? And some of you, you call me out on it, and you're right to do so. And I'll say things that are wrong, and I'll kind of be a little bit brash and harsh, and and I appreciate you stepping up and telling me that. But let me tell you, the culture that Jesus planted himself into, people were not worth anything. Especially people that were young, babies, and women. And the deformed, or those that had mental disabilities, they were discarded as worthless. And I mean that in the nicest term I could possibly use. They were garbage. If you didn't want a baby in that culture, you put it outside after it was born and let it die. That was normal. This is the culture that Jesus went into. When Jesus says, no, 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 let the children come to me, even his disciples says, no, no, stop. You parents, you keep those kids away. Those kids are worthless. Kids didn't even get a name until their eighth day because they didn't know if they wanted them or not. And they didn't want to have any attachment if they didn't have to. That was the culture that Jesus stepped into. And that culture was going on and on, and you could see it. 
I mean, at one point in time, Christians were used in the gardens to be lit on fire to light the gardens at night. That is the culture that Jesus stepped into. But now, if you look at the things that go on around us today, you can put it all back on Jesus' teaching. And the hundred and, well, it first started off with twelve. Twelve people that were following him started to make a change in the world. And by the time Jesus came to them in the book of Acts, there were about 120 followers at that point in time. And then Peter, he got up and preached. And while he was preaching, 3,000 people came to know the Lord in one day. And within 300 years of that event, within 300 years of that event, half the world considered themselves to be Christians, considered themselves to be Christ followers. And that half of the world changed the world for the better. Orphanages? They were started because people would leave babies outside and Christians would go and say, that can't be right. And they would go and they would take those babies and they would bring them in to love and care for and bring them up. That is how it got started. You look at the Red Cross. The Red Cross was started by Christians because a guy that was a, a Benedictine monk was tired of hearing soldiers crying out on the battlefield as they were laying there wounded and dying but couldn't do anything about it. So he formed a group that would go out and take care of those people that wasn't on the good side and wasn't on the bad side, whoever that might be. He went out there and took care of it because it was a human life. Christianity changed the world. Now the question is, how has Christianity changed you? How has Jesus Christ changed you? There's something I want to start doing here real soon. And it's going to be included in, in as many services as we have. But I want to start taking videos of testimonies, of people's lives being changed. Because I've told you many, many times before, the reason why we exist here this morning, the reason why we come to church, isn't so much for us as it is to see lives changed. It isn't about getting the feeling and feeling good and like filling up my spiritual tank for the week and then coming back next week because my tank is empty. It's about seeing lives change and seeing Jesus penetrate into hearts and change them and who they are. And that is what Jesus did. And that is why Jesus came. And that is what we remember. I can give you the short history, short testimony of my own life. And I would be willing to bet that some of you have had some really crazy lives. And some things have happened to you that... Only God can understand why, but it has brought you to this point and it has shaped who you are and you can see God's hand in it, even though it wasn't the greatest thing ever, that he used it for his good and his glory. When I was nine years old, my parents got divorced. I was going to Catholic church up to that point in time, but we were in a very staunch Catholic church, kind of the real, I guess, Orthodox Roman Catholic, that if your family is divorced, you are out of here. And that's what happened. We got kind of booted from the church. My mom remarried a guy. He went to the Baptist church, didn't know anything about the Baptist church, didn't understand the way it worked completely. If some of you may be walking in here today going, this is nothing like church. Well, that's because it really isn't anything like church. But the, the whole thing is, is I remember going in there and being like, what in the world's going on? I don't like this. I have to wear corduroy pants. Um, I had to wear button-up shirt. I'm, I didn't want to be there. But my grandfather made sure every, mo every Sunday morning he was dragging my bottom out of bed. And I was in church. And I was going to church, and I'll be honest with you, our church sat, sat in a U-shape, okay? The stage was here, there were sides here, sides here. I sat in the back because that's where kids sit, and there was a guy that sat directly over here, and I watched him the whole service, and this is what entertained me to get through things. He could actually lick his own nostril with his tongue. And being in seventh grade, that was impressive, okay? 
So I sat, and that's my first experience with church. I would watch that. But then also in the meantime, I had to go and sit, and I had to be a part of Sunday school. And I'm like, oh, God, just give me anything. I, I wanted to be in soccer. I wanted to be in anything that could get me away from church. I, I, I literally wanted that. That was who I was. My mom and dad said, you can only play soccer on Saturdays because church is reserved for, or Sundays are reserved for church. So I got stuck in that mentality and having to go to church. Finally, this couple came along and said, hey, we want to... We want you to go to summer camp. And I'm like, no, if it's anything like all this, I don't want to spend a week doing this. This isn't what I want. And they said, we want you to go to summer camp, and we're going to have fun. It's going to be a bunch of youth, and it's going to be a lot. They're going to be doing crazy stuff. And I'm like, well, you know, I, I tried to use whatever. Well, my parents probably can't afford it. No problem. We're going to pay for you to go. Okay, so they stepped up. They paid for me to go. The guy named Paul Hendricks, his wife, Elaine, they actually are still part of my life today. But... They invited me to go, they paid for me to go, they invested in me, and Paul, even an older gentleman at the time that he was, he said, I'm going to go and I'm going to be your youth counselor on top of it all. So not only did he pay physically, uh, he paid uh, financially as well for me to go. I mean, he, he took care of it. And on Thursday of that week, Thursday of that week, I was kind of broken down and I started to understand who this whole Jesus thing was and why we go to church. And in that process... A, a guy up in front said, hey, if any of you guys want to pray a prayer to accept Jesus into your heart, I'd like for you to do that today. And I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. That sounds easy. So I did it, and afterwards, all these people said, hey, I heard you prayed a prayer. And I'm like, yeah. And, you know, I, I, I didn't understand the excitement part of it all. And I started getting more involved in youth group, and then we switched churches into this big church that had a youth group of a 150 and there were just tons and tons of kids and it was great and we had all kinds of fun we played sand volleyball all the time because that's what we did back in the early 90s but um that's what i started going for it wasn't even so much for church it wasn't like when god came into my life there's this huge change that happened but when i was 17 years old i had just finished up high school getting ready to go into college and um, my stepdad was killed in an accident that same stepdad that had brought me even into the the baptist church and happened right right in front of me um a trail uh, tractor uh, rolled over on the side of a hill over and, and crushed him. And as a 17-year-old, I had, I had uh, a 14-year-old sister. I had a 10-year-old sister. I had a 5-year-old sister. And I had a 4-year-old brother. And my whole plan was to go away to college. And now all those plans just changed. Now I'm staying home because I don't want my mom to have to deal with all that stuff. So I went to a, a, a Bible school that was close by. And... As I got into Bible school, I was like, hey, this is cool. I can play basketball here. And I played basketball in college. And not, not a whole lot of people can say that. And that's kind of my thinking. And that's what school kind of was about. And I was going to get my elementary education degree. I had no desire to be a pastor. That never appealed to me. That was never anything. Not even until after I was almost ready to graduate did it even dawn on me that was a possibility. I got into doing these things they called Christian service projects. We had to do it in order to graduate. We had to have some sort of project that we did every semester for seven of our eight semesters while we were at school. And I got involved in Awana and then involved in this thing called youth ministry. And I worked with seventh and eighth grade kids. And I fell in love with them. But they offered to pay me, so how could you not? And the whole thing was is that that's kind of, my whole thinking wasn't right until I was about 19 years old when God finally said, hey, hey, there's, there's something more to this. It's not just about cruising through life. It's not just about having this get-out-of-hell-free card in your pocket. It's about living for God. It's about living for me. It's about understanding who Jesus is and remembering every day that I sacrificed my son for you. And not just you, but the rest of the world. 
And that is what communion is about. And lots of things have happened since then, as you may or may not know. You know, I've gone through some sicknesses. I've had some down times. We've had people tell us, hey, you're not going to have any kids. And that was a difficult time for us to deal with. And then we had three kids, and that was a difficult time to deal with. And then, you know, life goes up and life goes down. But the whole time, you start to realize that God has a purpose in it all. And that He has brought us to where we are at. And I want to have a chance... Like I said, some of you have some amazing stories, and we're not going to have a beat that testimony time. It's not going to be like, hey, see if you can be a whole lot worse off than them. You know, Tim Hawkins has a joke about it. He's be like, uh, you know, my testimony was never that good. I'd hear this guy say, hey, I was addicted to crack. He's like, man, I wish I was addicted to crack. You know, <laughs> it's not like that. It's not. But everybody has a story and how God has changed them, and we want to make sure that people are understanding that, that we have life change right there in front of us, because that is why we come on Sunday mornings. That is why we're here, and we set up, and we tear down, and people go over there, and they invest in little kids, because kids are the future. The youth are the now of our church, and the church of the world, and we need to invest in them. And that's why we give our time, and that's why we give our effort, and that's why we volunteer, and we, we serve. And it's all because of this right here, what we're going to remember, what Jesus Christ did for us. That he died on the cross, that he was willing to live a simple life. You know, of all the things that he did, all the ways that he changed this world, and you can pin so many things back to Jesus, you know, weave it all back in there, everything kind of that changed the world. He wasn't a king that gave decrees and made laws. He was a simple man that taught and lived out what he taught. And it changed the world. And he set up an example for us to follow. And that is what we remember today. That is who we remember today. And all that sacrifice, and that it should change our lives. And it's something we really should remember every morning. But today, we're going to take it very specifically. And there's nothing special about the juice that's in here. There's nothing special about the little bread wafer that you're going to take. I haven't magically blessed it. I haven't raised it up and it hasn't changed into anything special. That's not what it's about. It's about us remembering what Christ has done. So today, before you even come to the table, I'm going to uncover these elements during our next song, which is actually called the communion song, about remembering. As you decide when it's time to come, and you can come between... The time I uncover it to the end of service, it doesn't matter to me. We don't have to do anything special. There's nothing about that. The first thing I want you to do, though, is this. I want you to remember what Christ has done, and I want you to think about the story that he has brought you through and the testimony of your life that you have. How did you get here today? And why is it important for us to remember? Why is it important for Christ to remember, or for us to remember what Christ has done for us? I'm going to uncover this. I'm going to pray. I'm going to let Jerome sing our next song. And like I said, you can come up at any point in time during the, the, this service. It can be while I'm speaking. It can be while we're singing. You while Jerome speaking. Whatever you choose to do is fine. But come only when you're ready. Don't just come because other people are. Don't come out of obligation. Don't come out of routine. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for who you are and what you have done for us. We're thankful for your son, Jesus Christ, that died on the cross for our sins, that changed this world for the better, and that people who follow him have been the hands and feet of that change. God, I pray that we continue to be that today. I pray it all in your name. Amen. The truth is, Jesus came to live and die and raise again to save this world from its sin.
I have a confession to make. I'm a sinner. I fail. I'm completely and utterly helpless. And if you aren't convinced because you've only seen me on a Sunday morning, you think, no way. Just ask my wife and kids. My guess is you understand that as well, that you are a sinner. But I'm very thankful that my salvation is not dependent on anything I have done or anything that I will do, but it's merely dependent on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he died for my sins. There is grace that has been poured out by God. If you are somebody who has been in church for a long time, you've probably at some point in time heard the the verses uh, found in Ephesians chapter 2 that tell you all about it, that it is by grace that we've been saved through faith. No works. No works at all. It's very clear with that. And you know, I think that if it were about works, I'd be pretty arrogant about it. As a matter of fact, that ver- those verses in Ephesians chapter 2 tell us that. They say, it's so that nobody can boast. I can be kind of prideful. I can be kind of, I'm better than you thinking. My guess is you're kind of the same way. Football season starts in a couple of weeks. There's going to be a lot of uh, trash talking going on probably. You know, any Niners fans in here? All right. Well, Packers playing first, so it's, it's on. You know, what can I say? I mean, that is, that is our mentality. That is our thinking. And if there is somehow, some way in our mentality that we thought that we had anything to do with it, we become arrogant and pompous about it. As a matter of fact, Jesus actually kind of took on these guys that were a little pompous and arrogant about the fact that they thought that they were so good at following the law that they had earned heaven. He tells them in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, For I tell you that unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Basically meaning that even after all that you might think and all they might say about how great they are, They're not good enough, and you're going to have to be better than them. And they think they're really, really good. It's not about the works. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2 says, Faith is the confidence of that what we hope for will actually happen, and it gives us assurance about the things that we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in the days of old, or the Old Testament, earned a good reputation. And this is basically saying it wasn't through the works of Abraham. It wasn't through the works of Moses. It wasn't through the works of Joshua. It was through their faith. And there's so many people listed in that famous chapter of Hebrews chapter 11 that say exactly what it's about. And the fact that when Christ came, he was drawn. He was drawn to people that were sinful and they knew it. He was drawn to people that were broken. He was drawn to the children. He was drawn to the, the, those who were outcast. I mean, we, we all know the story, or maybe, I shouldn't, I shouldn't assume that, but most of us probably know the story of, of the calling of Matthew. Matthew, a tax collector, the worst of the worst, below sinner, different category even, because it always said the sinners and the tax collectors, two different total categories. He was that bad. And Jesus came to him and didn't say, hey, buddy, clean yourself up, get your act together, and guess what? Then we will allow you to come and follow me. No, it was come, follow me, and allow me to change your life. 
Allow me to be a part of who you are. It wasn't about what he had done. It wasn't about what was going to be done. It was, it was about what Christ was going to do and how Christ was going to come into him and change who he was. I think sometimes we forget, and that is why we remember. I've heard it said once before, we are far, off, far worse off than we could ever imagine, but we are far more loved than we could ever dare to dream. Because really, our sin is so much worse than we think. We, we have a tendency to think we're good people. And maybe compared to some other human beings, we are. But in comparison to what God wants us to be, we are not. We are that wretch, that amazing grace, that song you've probably heard a time or two, that talks about. That wretch that has been saved. We have this thinking that, well, Jesus died then. I'm saved because I accepted that as, I accepted him as my Savior, so I'm good. Now I can go and live however I want to. My life can be whatever it is. You just said it's not about works. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 says it's not about works, and that's exactly right. It's not about works, but it doesn't mean works aren't important. It doesn't mean the response that we have to Jesus in love isn't important. To say, God, thank you for doing what you have done for me. Now let me respond by returning just a small amount, because we cannot ever repay God for what he has done, but we can at least in love say, yes, I would like to do this in return. Faith is just the first element of a new lifestyle. Romans chapter 6 tells us this, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? We have changed. We have changed. We have died to that sin. If, if you've been baptized and I'm not talking about it as a baby, but I'm talking about it as an adult with, with confession in your heart, saying, yes, I was once this, now I am buried. And I've been buried with Jesus, and I raise again to this walk in this new life, and that is a physical profession. You're saying it out loud to everybody around. It doesn't have to, you don't have to have it for your salvation. Once again, that would be a work if we did. But you're saying to everybody around, you're saying, God, I want to follow you. I want to die to my old self and I want to be raised again. Just going to let you know that probably middle of September, we're going to have a, another baptism celebration. I've already got three people that said, that, hey, we, we definitely want to be baptized. And if, you're, if you fall into that and you haven't been baptized as an adult, if you've been baptized as a, as a baby or a child but didn't really understand it or understand why, um, and it wasn't obviously professing your belief in, in Jesus Christ, then come and talk to me. Because I'd love for you to be a part of that. Just another part of that testimony time. And we're going to have our baptism video up probably real soon from a couple of weeks ago. Where you may have had a chance to meet Gary and the, the testimony that he had. And if you haven't, we'll put it up on the website so you can at least see it. See that testimony that was a part of that. James chapter 2 is also clear on the subject. It says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. But then don't give that person anything of food or clothing. What good does that do? You know, it's similar to the way we are. Verse 17 says, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. Dead and useless. It boils down to what Matthew chapter 16, 7, 16 says when Jesus says this. He says, you can identify them by their fruit, that is, by the way that they act. How do we identify Christians? 
How do we identify hypocrites? Generally, it's by the way they act, isn't it? So how should we be identifying Christians and those who are followers of Christ by the way that they act and the, the love that they have for people and following the commands that Jesus had? If a person is truly saved and becoming in the process of being changed, there's this word that the, the church will use. Maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't. But it's called sanctification. It's about being changed to be more like God, to be set apart from the world, to be closer to Him. And, and God has this process of sanctification that, it, that is taking place in us. And, and we are, are being cleansed and we are being washed and we are being changed. And sometimes we have to go through fire and sometimes we get to, to just experience it. But we all know there are things that God has for us. So I go back to the question I asked you a little bit earlier. What is it that got you out of bed this morning? Was it out of obligation to go to church? Was it, was it because you just felt like you needed to be here? Was it because this is the only feeding that you get and you're hoping to get that buffet shoved into you so you can just fill up all week long and, and hopefully make it through to the end of the week? What is it that brought you to church here this morning? Maybe you're hurting, you're hoping that Jesus could, could just do something to help you with that hurt. What is it that brings us? I, I hope the only reason that you didn't come was because of the desire to kind of say, hey, yeah, we're here. We do our thing every Sunday. This is what we're all about. We enjoy having some company hang around us. We talk. We, we talk in Christianese. We have, uh, we have those special words like, brother, hey, brother, how are you doing today? God bless you, you know, God bless you. We just get into the talk like that, and, and that's what it's about. It's about fulfilling that role for Sunday morning, to get that check off your checklist. I hope that's not what, what it's about, because I'll tell you right now, that's not what Paragon Church was ever started for. We didn't ever need just another church just to meet in. We needed a church that would reach out to people. I heard an illustration a couple of weeks ago that I wanted to share with you, and it, uh, it hit close to home, obviously, for me. But, um, you know, how many of you in here have been or know someone who has been affected by cancer? Just raise your hand. Most everybody in here knows somebody, co-worker, family member, yourself personally, that has been affected by cancer in some way. Let's say that there were a group of 40 people who had cancer, 40, 50 people who had cancer, and they decided they were going to go have a little meeting. And in this time of meeting, somebody brought to them the cure for cancer. And they all sat around, they said, oh man, this is, this is great. We no longer have cancer. We are, we are free from cancer. And in the process of that meeting, they said, you know what? We need to sing a song to the person who brought us the freedom from cancer. And they sing songs, and they sing to the creator of the cancer-free drug, and they say, you are so great, and you are so awesome. Thanks for saving our life from this cancer. And not only that, somebody gets up and preaches messages, and says, hey, guys, we just got to remember that we don't have cancer because of this creator. And I want you to learn all about it. We're going to get involved in cancer book studies. And we're going to read all about it, and we're going to know everything there is about how we got saved and how this thing all happened. And how cancer became eliminated from this group of 40 people. If that were where it stopped at, would any one of us think that that group of cancer survivors was loving and caring and compassionate to people on the outside? Or would we think they were 
evil and wicked people for keeping the one cure that was out there for such a horrible, horrible disease. Well, I thought about that with the church. Because we have the cure for a spiritual cancer that kills. It is found in the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. The death, burial, and the resurrection. But yet, how many of us, how many of us have any desire to tell anybody about it as we watch them struggle, as we watch them hurt, as we say, hey, you know what, I'll pray for you. But then we don't even really do that. What is it that that brings us to the point that it's any different than a physical cancer? Because if you saw somebody whose body was being eaten away and beaten up, and you say, I got a cure right here, but I just don't, I don't feel comfortable sharing. I don't know if they're going to accept it or not. And I don't, want, I don't like the fear of rejection. You know, whatever it might be, what is it that brings us to that point? This weekend I was over in Phoenix and I had the opportunity to meet uh, up with some, uh, a girl that many of you have been praying for. We, we keep you updated. Her name is Katie Wagner. And 10 months ago she, she was diagnosed with stage 4 cancer all over her body. And she was in uh, the, actually her older uh, siblings were in my youth group when I was in Phoenix. And, and now she is uh, 16 years old. She turned 16 during all of this. And she has gone through some serious, serious cancer treatments. I mean, to the point for 10 months, she's been going through chemo and radiation. And during the chemo and radiation, she's had to have her feet and hands in water because the, the way that chemo e- exits is through her hands. And it was burning her hands. And she's lost all of her hair. And she's lost all kinds of weight. And she's got all sorts of side effects from the radiation. But I got to see her this week, and she had a huge smile on her face, and that's because on Friday she had her CT scan and everything was clear. And praise God for that. I mean, it was amazing. And she has, she has uh, till this, in middle of December, till uh, they want to keep her on, because the cancer she has, very, ha- has had, whatever the word you want to use there, is very aggressive, and it could easily come back. So they want to finish her off on the things there. But she can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And she jokes with me, she says, I'm just hoping it's not a train coming in my way. But, but she can see it there, and, and she had a smile on her face, and she was happy, and she was just praising God. And the, and the way that it has changed her life, it has changed her family's life, it has changed people around her's life. And obviously school started this week, for, for most of you it did for her as well. And she has to be homebound and do all that. And all the kids at school were just hoping and praying that she could be back at school with them. But it looks like January is going to be the possibility and, and that whole school has rallied around and heard her testimony because she could be really, really upset about it. But instead, she knows that God is doing things in her life. And it's been amazing to see it. But we have a cure for cancer that we can praise God when people take it and we see that their bodies are cancer-free when Jesus Christ comes into their life. That is what we remember today. This will be our last little thing. So if you haven't had a chance to come forward and would like to, I would challenge you to do so. You know, I said there at the end, we get so, so much into what Jesus has done for us, we forget what he has taught us to do. And in the book of Matthew, uh, in chapter 7, we already read in verse 16, but if you skip down to verse 24, Jesus talks about how we need to apply it. He says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows its wise, like a person who builds his house on solid rock, Though the rains come and the torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is what? Foolish. Foolish, like a person who builds his house on the sand. 
When it rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. James, the brother of Jesus, says in chapter 1, of verse tw- uh, in verse 22 and through 25, says, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only what? Fooling yourselves. Twice now we're called foolish if we're not obeying what Jesus has said. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, don't forget what you've heard, then God will bless you for doing it. It's rare that we look into a mirror and don't see the imperfections and try to change them. God's word is a mirror for us. It's not only a mirror. It's not just the, the, the one thing that we say, hey, I'm in trouble, I need to go to. It, it's something that as we read through it and we see what God is teaching and what we're supposed to do in our lives, it, it changes us and it makes us who we are. And it's funny because rarely will we, we look in a mirror and we'll just say, hey, you know what? Um, Pastor Matt, I looked in the mirror this morning and my hair, my hair was a mess. Can you pray for me? That's not what you're going to do. You're going to do something about it. You're going you're to fix the problem or work towards fixing the problem. But yet when we have struggles in our lives and we say, I really need to do something about this, but you just say, hey, Pastor Matt, can you pray for me? Absolutely, I will. But that can't be the only step. We have to do something about it. It's about taking that step. The Bible is more than just basic instructions before leaving earth. It is our guide. It is God's story. And it is to see what he has done for us. And it helps us to remember. Remember as we have done today. And I hope we can do it every day. Even if you don't have the communion elements or if you want to sit down with a saltine cracker and a Mountain Dew, it doesn't really matter. If you want to take time and say, God, I remember, I remember and I am thankful and I am glad you are still changing me, don't ever let me forget because sometimes we can just get caught up so much in ourselves that we forget who God is and what he has done. I'm going to pray. Jerome's got a closing song and if you'd like to come forward at that time, if you haven't taken the elements yet, please do. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for each person that is here and thank you for each story and life that is represented. There are so many different variations here, so many different backgrounds of growing up, so many different places of growing up, different things that have happened that have made us who we are, so many different gifts you have blessed each and every one of us with. It's what makes up this one body, this body of believers that is followers of you. And God, I know there might be somebody in here that doesn't understand any of that, that doesn't even know who you are, that has come today kind of kicking and dragging and screaming like I did when I was in junior high. Not wanting to be here, not wanting to be a part of this, wanting to still be in bed asleep right now. God, I pray that you have spoken to them today. I pray for the person that came kind of begrudgingly. They knew they should be here but didn't really want to be here, but didn't want people to talk, whatever it might be, I pray, God, that you are working in their lives as well to say, no, 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 it's not about filling an obligation. There's no giant attendance book up in heaven that says, yep, check mark. Help them understand that. Help them understand that it's about you. And it's about loving you. and It's about reaching out to you and not just a partial, but reaching all the way up and grabbing what you're offering out to us. God, maybe there's somebody in here who's looking to be baptized, to be able to say that, 
out loud to people that, yes, you had an old life and now they have died. I pray, God, you're moving them to do that as well. God, you are amazing. And we, we cannot even fathom the love that it took for you to send your son to die for us. But we're grateful that you did. We pray it all in your name. Amen.